Well, hello, everyone. This is JB with NBW Ministries, proclaiming the clear, accurate, and urgent gospel message from my studio beneath the sky hidden somewhere within the tall timbers of Colorado. Thank you so much for joining us. Today is Thursday, November the 2nd, 2023. And uh, what a week it's been already. So excited about some of the guests that we've had on and uh, appreciate the great feedback. We started out the week on Monday with uh, a fan favorite, Lucas Doremus, talking about why Satan wants a global digital ID. And then on Tuesday, we had Mondo on for why Christians should support secular Israel. Mondo Gonzalez, of course, uh, needs no introduction. Our Wednesday World Events Update with Randy was uh, a highlight again, as always, yesterday. But today, a first-time guest, but a man who's certainly no stranger to our audience, uh, Alex Newman, is going to be on here in just a moment to talk about how the global elite influence world leaders. And that's something that I've talked about for many years and really appreciate Alex, he's kind of the, one of the premier researchers, investigative journalists, and uh, just does a great job kind of exposing the hidden agenda uh, from uh, the biblical worldview of Satan's co-conspirators trying to usher in a one-world system. And then we'll close out the week tomorrow with uh, one of the friendliest, nicest guys you'll ever meet. Don Perkins will be on to talk about Is America in uh, Bible Prophecy. So that's uh, tomorrow. But before I bring Alex on, uh, just a quick word uh, from Scripture like we like to do, and a passage that you've heard me talk about a lot. I've written about it in my books. Uh, Psalm chapter 2 is a psalm written by King David about a thousand years before Christ. It doesn't uh, mention that David wrote it in the Hebrew text, but we know from the New Testament that this indeed was written by uh, King David. And it's got four stanzas, you know, in, in the Hebrew uh, poetry and wisdom literature, it's often structured in, in stanzas. And this one has uh, four stanzas in the English Bibles, it's 12 verses. Uh, but it really is one of the great proof texts that talks about Satan's earthly co-conspirators, his accomplices on earth uh, that he is using and working with to try to take over the world. And it reminds us of that. So let me just mention a few highlights from Psalm chapter 2 that I think will set the stage for our discussion with Alex Newman here in a moment. But uh, the, the psalm begins, Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. And let's just stop there for a moment. Lord, whenever you see Lord in the Scripture in all caps in our English Bibles, at least if you have a good English translation, that's referring to Yahweh, the one true God, the personal name for God, the creator of the universe. His anointed, of course, is his eternal son, Jesus Christ, our Savior. And so these rulers of the earth, uh, this these kings of these earth, are working together, uh, trying to come against the creator God, the triune God. And what are they saying? They're saying in verse 3, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. And again, in the English Bibles, there is capitalized, again, a reference to the triune God. So these kings are working against, at the behest of Satan, these earthly co-conspirators. So that's the first stanza, and I see that as the Luciferian plot. Uh, Satan's been trying to usurp God's control since he got kicked out of heaven in his failed coup attempt, and he set his sights on earth ever since then. And uh, he's doing it in conjunction with, or conspiring with, you might say, these earthly leaders. But of course, God responds in the next stanza. He says, he who sits in the heavens shall laugh, the Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep pleasure. Uh, one day, the wrath of God is going to be poured out on earth in the 70th week of Daniel, in that final seven-year period leading up to the return of Christ to establish the earthly kingdom and fulfillment of all prophecy when Christ comes back to make all things new and uh, rule over a perfect kingdom of peace, righteousness, and judgment. And the prophetic wrath of God will be poured out. And what is God saying to them in verse in the second stanza there, verse 6? You, yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. And this is... Uh, Kind of interesting because, of course, we know Christ is not ruling from the Davidic throne just yet. Uh, all the nations are not uh, on his shoulders, and uh, he's not ruling in perfect peace. I, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure that out as you look around with all that's unfolding in the world today. Uh, but yet God speaks of it as if it's already done. This is what we call a, a prolepsis in Scripture. It just means God, who is outside of time, is speaking from timeless eternity. And from his perspective, it's as good as done. Christ is at the right hand of the throne of God today, waiting uh, for, for God to set in motion his end times plan. But someday he will uh, rule. And so I call this the Lord's plan. So we saw the Luciferian plot, the Lord's plan. And then he 
He describes uh, the coming king, Jesus, uh, in a little more detail in the third stanza, which I call the long-awaited prince. I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. In other words, Satan wants the nations for his possession. He wants the ends of the earth. He has control issues. He hates God's control, and at the same time, he wants control himself. And yet, ultimately, it will be Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who rules with perfect authority. Uh, you shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. All these enemy nations and enemy rulers that are trying to work with Satan to overcome God will be defeated. And then finally, we see the lasting promise when in the final stanza, David writes, now therefore be wise, O kings, be instructed, you judges of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. That's a Hebrew uh, a cultural thing you know, that actually carries over into religions today, like Roman Catholicism, when they would kiss the ring of the Pope. It's just a, a way of showing obeisance and, and, and respect and a, a bowing down to their authority. Uh, but when his wrath is kindled but a little, blessed are those who put their trust in him. So Alex, uh, you know, Psalm 2 couldn't be more clear, and yet so many believers miss uh, the, the 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 spiritual aspect of the battle, and they think two-dimensionally in terms of the right-left paradigm and all of the issues that are going on the earth, which we should. We should engage that for sure. But uh, uh, am I right that this really is a, a cosmic battle in the end? And welcome to the program, by the way. Uh, thank you so much. It's an honor to be here. And yes, uh, it, this is absolutely a cosmic battle. This is a spiritual war. The Bible talks about this in so many places in such clear language, and yet I, I would wager that not one in a hundred average Christians in the United States really have any understanding of this, which I, I think is incredibly sad because I don't believe you can have a proper understanding of reality. I don't believe you can have a proper understanding of the battle that we're in if you don't understand this. Um, you know, th there's another psalm that also deals with this, uh, Psalm 83. It talks about the enemies of God who hate him, and they are, are taking crafty counsel together against God's people. They've consulted against God's hidden ones. And, I mean, the, the scriptures are just filled with this. Uh, obviously, Ephesians 6 talks uh, in depth on this. I just preached on this a couple of weeks ago in California. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6 gives us probably some of the clearest language about this, depending on what translation you use. Uh, the Apostle Paul explains that we're not battling against flesh and blood. I mean, yeah, yeah, there are evildoers who are actively in the service of Satan, but ultimately what we're dealing with here is, is what the Bible describes as powers, principalities, uh, spiritual hosts, uh, wickedness, spiritual darkness in high places. And uh, there's a very clear example of what these battles look like in Daniel, where it talks about the prince of Persia. And so the Bible actually teaches that, that the nations have these spiritual hosts over them, and, and uh, they are in rebellion against God. And, uh, of course, they are misleading the nations, uh, along with Satan, uh, who uh, the Bible says has blinded the minds of them which believe not. And so if you don't have this it, it, kind of contextual information in the back of your mind, at least, nothing else makes sense. I mean, how do you make sense of current events? How do you make sense of prophecy? Nothing makes sense unless you understand the cosmic nature of this battle. This, like, you know, people get tied up and like, it's Democrats. Like, no, your war is not against Democrats uh, or, you know, for the Democrats out there, it's not against Republicans. You know, Donald Trump is not the one that you are battling against. What we're talking about here is so much bigger than that. It's so much darker than the, the, the manifestations that we see in the physical world. And um, I, I do believe it's it's past time for Christians to rekindle an awareness of this. You know, the saints down through the centuries have understood this. And it's really only, I think, in, in modern America that we have such incredible ignorance about this within the church, within the church itself. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 I want to come back to that in a second, because we're, we're our main uh, theme today is how the global elite are influencing world leaders. So we want I want to talk more about how we got to where we are in America in particular. But it seems to me, Alex, that more and more people are waking up, especially in recent years with the pandemic and the election and things. But a lot of people, they they think in terms of uh, like the deep state or the global elite, as we're calling it. They don't understand the Luciferian aspect of it. They don't connect the dots all the way up uh, to through Scripture, as you just said. And it really, it kind of gets you part of the way there, but it doesn't allow you to really fully comprehend uh, the way things 
uh, really work. There really is uh, a battle and, uh, you know, things are heating up. And, and as I've said, when things are heating up on earth, that's an indication they're heating up in the, in the heavenlies. But, but talk to us a little bit about America and the uniqueness of, of why people tend to fight the battle on the political realm and think in terms of Republican, Democrat, left, right, and, and that sort of thing. Well, I, I think part of the reason is that a lot of people are fighting the wrong battle. Uh, you know, if we could just get enough Republicans elected, then everything is saved. Like, no, 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 you're you're totally missing the point. Um, yeah, and I'm I'm not here arguing against involvement in politics. I, I do believe, especially in our national context in America, Christians actually have an obligation to participate in po- in politics. And I don't say that lightly. Um, you know, and, and I know there are plenty of Christians who disagree with me on this, but I, I think in America, and we can get into that later, we do have a special obligation to participate in politics, especially because the Constitution starts off with the words, we the people. In other words, all those verses that are directed at rulers, at kings, at princes, at sovereigns, uh, they're talking to you in America, voter, right? Yeah, uh, elected official, etc. Um, and so America is a very unique nation in the history of the world. Um, it's the only other nation that I've ever found in my studies where the actual founders of the nation not just distilled biblical knowledge and biblical wisdom into governing documents, which they did. They, they did do that, absolutely, and I think we can prove that demonstrably. But um, I would say one of the most important speeches that I ever read in my life was uh, by an individual called Samuel Langdon. He was the president of Harvard. And uh, he gave this incredibly stirring speech. You might even call it a sermon to the New Hampshire legislature in uh, 1787 or 1788. Don't quote me on the date. Uh, But he was arguing in favor of ratification of the the U.S. Constitution. And uh, what he does in this incredible speech, uh, and I, I, you know, if there's any homework from this other than, you know, your prayers and your Bible, go read the speech by Samuel Langdon. He explains that the American system of government is actually modeled on the system of government that God revealed to his people um, in the Old Testament. And, uh, you know, at first glance to the modern secular American mind that's been dumbed down through multiple generations of public school, has been radically misled by the fake media, that almost sounds like nails on a chalkboard. Are you saying our system of government is biblical and is modeled on what God? Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. And after you read Samuel Langdon's speech to the New Hampshire legislature, I think you will come to the exact same conclusion. Um and even some of the things that people like to say, you know, that's secular, that's deist, that's Masonic, it, it, it is absolutely not. If you look at the origin of some of this terminology, uh, you know, take the Declaration of Independence, for example, there's a lot of terms that have been secularized and that have been distorted. Um, even things like uh, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that we're all created uh, that we're all endowed by our creator with certain inalienable rights. Uh, people look at that and say, oh, yeah, Thomas Jefferson, he wasn't really a Christian. That must have just been his deism coming through. And look, he cited self-evident instead of the Bible. Well, if you look at the origin of almost word for word, that phrase, this was a phrase that was repeatedly used by Christians in a Christian context, specifically citing scripture as the authority for those truths. Uh, 1772, Samuel Adams, known as the father of the American Revolution. He, uh, back in the day, they didn't have big tech censorship, but they did have uh, efforts to stymie free communications. And uh, so Samuel Adams helped set up the committees of correspondence. This was the kind of underground way of communicating where patriots in different towns and different uh, states or colonies at that time could communicate with each other. The very first document that circulated through these committees of correspondence was called On the Rights of the Colonists. And uh, in there, Samuel Adams, Samuel Adams wrote this document. This was 1772, years before the Declaration of Independence would be written. He used almost that exact same terminology. Um, Actually, if you give me a minute, I can even pull it up word for word so that I don't butcher it. But he used uh, almost those exact same words, and he credited the Bible as the source of that insight. And so did, by the way, the Presbyterians of North Carolina, who uh, made the exact same argument in some of their documents long before um, the, uh, the the Declaration of Independence was written and signed, etc. So uh, America is a very unique nation. Uh, and I do believe, uh, you know, as the Founding Fathers said in the Declaration of Independence, they, they actually relied on divine providence. They appealed to heaven for the rightness of their cause. They actually say at the conclusion, we we place our firm reliance on divine providence. And that was a widely understood phrase at that time. That's the beneficent hand of God 
acting in human affairs. And over and over again, they're appealing to the supreme judge of the universe and things like this. This is Christian terminology. These are Christian principles. The idea that God gave you a right to life is a biblical idea. Uh, right. In fact, so Oh, go ahead, JB. Yeah, let me just jump in. So, yeah, I think there's no question that God's fingerprints are all over the founding of this country. And I, I talk about that in my Spirit of the Antichrist, Volume 2 book. We have a whole chapter on that. Uh, but would you agree also that Satan's fingerprints were on the founding of it? I mean, I, I, I see... Um, See, see if you agree with that. Then it's perfectly okay if you don't, because I really value your your insight and your you've been researching this a lot longer than I have. But in my mind, that the Puritans, the Pilgrims who came over 150 years earlier, uh, obviously godly, devout, Bible centered people looking for a place to worship the Lord. I think the founding fathers, many of them, came over in the midst of a sort of a, uh, a biblical worldview when when everybody, even unbelievers, had a sense of providence and understood that. And yeah, there's no question that they, the founding fathers, uh, many of them were Christians. They cited the Bible. They based, as you've uh, just proven with some of your quotes, even before 1776, uh, they 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 based their premise for our freedom on biblical uh, principles. But it seems to me that, you know, the the Luciferian elite, you know, the Freemasons who became many of them in, in, the, uh, in the America, North America, the Illuminati founded in 1776 as well, really had a different motive when they came over. They wanted to use the new world as a beachhead for the new world order. That's why they call it the new world. And what they vastly underestimated was the power of God, the power of God's people, the power of the Holy Spirit in God's people, the power of the of the Word of God. And so it, you know, by the time you get to the 1900s, you know, God had just already completely thwarted their attempt to make this a a, a a basically a beachhead for the new world order, and instead it was a bastion for the gospel. And that's when things changed, in my view. That's when Satan's co-conspirators in America really ratcheted it up and were determined to bring down this great country, uh, destroy it. So you had, you know, the Rockefellers, the Carnegies, the DuPonts, the Fords. They they took over just about every industry: education, uh, medicine, uh, uh, finance, obviously politics. And so the last 123 years of our country uh, really have just been a spiraling out of control. Is that? I know that's broad speak, but is that a fair assessment? Absolutely, it is. And I'm glad you mentioned that because I don't think you can give a fair account of American history without pointing to those forces. And I'm actually working on a book with uh, one of my staffers on this very subject, the, the true history of America, because you did have that huge Christian element. But at the same time, as you pointed out, even from the very beginning, I mean, if you look at, for example, the, the guys that landed at Cape Henry, um, and, and then later the arrival of the pilgrims and the Mayflower Compact, there was a very strong Christian influence. But even there, there was some wickedness. And you, you fast forward a little bit. You know, George Washington actually was very aware of these nefarious influences. He had read a book that was given to him by a pastor called uh, Proofs of a Conspiracy. Now, this is a book that was published in 1797 by John Robeson. Uh, he was a high-ranking uh, Scottish Freemason. He was also the first chief of the Royal Society of Edinburgh. And what happened was uh, he had traveled through continental Europe. And he, he again, he was a, a high-ranking Mason. So he went through the Masonic lodges uh, in Paris, in uh, what would later become Germany, all the way into St. Petersburg. And uh, he sounds the alarm in this book, an incredibly significant book, where he says, hey, there is a subversive element that is working to take over the Masonic lodges on continental Europe. He described it as the Illuminati. Once governments caught wind of this and started trying to suppress it, they, they changed their name, the German Union. So they, they kind of reformed and, and revamped and, and used different names and stuff. But he, uh, George Washington read this book, and, and I can quote his response exactly to his pastor friend because it's in the National Archives. He said this in his letter to his friend. Um, it is not my intention to doubt that the doctrine of the Illuminati and the principles of Jacobinism, which is kind of the, the spirit that animated the French Revolution, which was vile in its hatred of God and Christianity. So Washington says that it was not my intention to doubt that the doctrine of the Illuminati and the principles of Jacobinism had not spread in the United States. On the contrary, no one is more satisfied of this fact than I am. And so you had this very, very dark force within even elements at the founding era. Uh, and, and there have been very prominent people who've written about this from a positive perspective, a Manly P. Hall. Uh, he is known as one of the world's top occult scholars, one of the, the top experts on uh, esotericism. Uh, he wrote a book called The Secret Destiny of America, where he outlines this kind of vision 
that these evil, you know, we know as as uh, students of the Bible, as servants and uh, of our Lord and adopted children of the Most High, we know that this is a wicked agenda. But they had this idea, you know, Christians came here and they said, we're going to use this country to spread the gospel to every corner of the world. And God was faithful. And, and this country did that. But these evildoers said, we're going to use this country to create a new world order. Uh, where, as the Illuminati said, as Adam Weissup said, and this is one of the things that comes out so clearly in John Robeson's book, they planned to destroy everything that God had ordained. God separated mankind into nations. They wanted a single world system where nation states would be abolished. God divided mankind into families. They wanted to overturn the family, just like Karl Marx. They believed women should be held in common. They believed the state, the collective should raise the children. Uh, on every single point where God has spoken clearly, private property, right? Where God said, thou shalt not steal. They said, we should no longer have private property. And if, if you notice, these, these principles were actually enshrined again in the Communist Manifesto by Karl Marx, uh, not too much longer after that, less than a century after the Illuminati was began act, uh, becoming active in uh, Bavaria and then throughout Europe. So this satanic stream in Western civilization has been there for centuries. I, I would argue it probably goes back uh, to the very beginning of human history, but uh, it hasn't gone anywhere. Uh, it's just that in America, the biblical worldview, the devotion to Christ was so strong and God's providence was so merciful and so beneficent that this country became a superpower. It blessed the world with the light of the gospel. It blessed the world with biblical principles and the application of those principles to government. And, you know, to get back to the, the question that we started on uh, in my book on the deep state, I, I think you just hit the nail on the head, JB, because it, I think it's important to understand Satan's devices. And in fact, the Apostle Paul specifically says we're not ignorant of Satan's devices. As God's people, we don't want to be ignorant of Satan's devices. There's a balance there. We don't want to become obsessed with them. And so a part of that is understanding what are the different groups? How, how do they work? Who are the people in charge? But the most important thing for a Christian to understand is that they have a commander in chief. Their commander in chief is Satan. He yes. is the ruler of the kingdom of darkness. And um, when you want to try to understand what's happening in the world, if you don't understand that there is a kingdom of darkness and that Satan is the commander in chief in that kingdom of darkness, nothing else makes sense. Yeah, no, he's absolutely, uh, the whole world is under the sway of the wicked one. Scripture tells us this is the devil's playground when he approached God in the book of Job. Where do you come from? I come from going to and fro on the earth. So uh, he's trying to take over this world. So, wow, that is just I mean, I, one of the reasons I love lis listening to you and reading your stuff is you just, you pack so much into every sentence. I mean, it's just, you know, you, you, uh, you, you're great in that regard. So uh, a couple thing notes that I made as you were talking, um, uh, you know, going back to how the global elite influence uh, the government today and, and world leaders, but let's just stick within America for now, since that seems to be what we've been uh, talking about. Uh, would you say that most uh, politicians at the national level, so we're talking president, Supreme Court, Senate, Congress, are controlled? Would, would, was that what's your take on that? Well, I, I would say they are controlled, but in different ways. I, yes. I, you know, I, I, I would not argue that most members of Congress are consciously serving Satan. No, um, absolutely but, not. But you know, the, the scriptures that you pointed out, I, I, I think. Christians really need to understand. We need to have a proper theology when it comes to Satan. So I, I've actually preached whole sermons just on the subject of Satan uh, and, you know, the, the great and glorious ending when he gets cast into the lake of fire with all of his minions. Uh, praise the Lord for that. But, um, you know, we need to have a proper understanding of Satan. Uh, you, you cited First uh, John chapter 5, verse 19, where you said that Satan, uh, the whole world is in the power of the evil one. That's an important part of a proper theological understanding of Satan. Uh, in 2 Corinthians, uh, the Apostle Paul tells us that uh, it actually describes Satan as the god of this world who has blinded the minds of them who believe not the glorious gospel. And so, you know, that's really interesting. Satan is the god of this world? That's, well, that's what 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says. And there are other terms that Paul uses, the prince of the power of the air, right? But, but what's very clear is that Satan has an enormous amount of authority but then we don't want to go to the other extreme and misunderstand that, right? Satan is not sovereign. Satan is not uh, acting on his own authority. And, and to get a proper understanding of Satan, I, I'm glad you mentioned the book of Job. Um, really, I think the book of Job is one of the most important books when it comes to understanding Satan. Satan is a created being. He is not a God in the sense that we think of God, Yahweh, or, or God, Jesus Christ, God, the Holy Spirit. Satan is a created being who's been given a limited amount of authority by God. And, and what you see in Job is before Satan can act, he actually has to go get God's permission. He's like, hey, can 
can I do this to Job? And, and God actually gives him, and, and that's really hard to understand. You know, I went through Job with my children. Like, why would God let Satan do that to Job? And you know what? Then God answers that question. Where were you when I was making the snowflakes? Right? I mean, who do you think you are to ask me these kinds of questions? Then that is, as Christians needs to be our, our understanding. Like, you know, we may not understand why God allows these things. We may not understand why God has allowed Satan to roam about on this earth, seeking whom he may devour. But God understands it, and God reveals that to us in his word, and that's all we really need to know. So I, I do think it's critical that people have a correct understanding of Satan. Um, he is not independent. He is not sovereign. He's a created being who is subject to God, the creator of the heavens and the earth. Yes, he is evil. Yes, he fell due to pride, which is unfortunately a sin that affects uh, many of us. And uh, yes, he is going to be cast into the lake of fire at some point. But right now, he is walking among us and his minions are walking among us, seeking whom they may take down into the lake of fire yeah. with them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, God is working out his plan precisely as he said he would in scripture. Um, and, uh, you know, Satan is not omniscient. And that's the reason in my latest book, Spirit of the False Prophet, Rise of the Global Technocracy, I talk about how Satan's going to use technology to try to control everyone, according to Revelation 13. That's the only way he can do it. He can't he, he can't see everybody at the same time or control everybody at the same time. But getting back to this issue of Control. I, I completely agree, and I'm so glad you reiterated that point, that obviously this conspiracy is quite uh, complex. It's not monolithic. It's not like Satan's up there pulling the strings of every U.S. congressman. By no means. There are many that uh, have no idea of the broader, uh, you know, agenda, and that that ultimately it's a satanic agenda. Uh, uh, there are many that are not in it at all. In fact, there are some congressmen who are, you know, God fearing, patriotic, Bible believing uh, congressmen trying to make a difference in this world. But even the ones that are evil or compromised, and you're right, there's multiple ways to control people. You can do it through blackmail, through threats, through uh, just enticements, through these days, even through fake news and, and AI and stuff. So there are lots of ways you can control people. It's a lot easier than people realize. But even some of those, they're not necessarily aware that at the top tier, you've got you know, a small six or eight families that are literally worship, worshiping Satan the way you and I worship God and getting their marching orders from him. They're just in it for the for the natural depravity things, power, money, sex, whatever. But uh, but do you feel like you mentioned earlier how we have a duty to vote? And absolutely. I've said that time and time again, that it's a unique privilege in America. Uh, however, having said that, one of the things that I've been exposing for many years, going back to my my first book on this subject back in 2012, The Great Last Day's Deception, Exposing Satan's New World Order Agenda, is the rigged voting system. So when it went to a digital vote tabulation, uh, I was talking about Dominion way, way back then, uh, it really created a new problem because in my mind, in certain sectors, not, not all of them by any means, but in certain, particularly in federal national elections, we don't have voting. We have fake voting. We have pretend voting. You pretend to go in and cast a vote, but really, you know, some 18-year-old whiz kid at a computer terminal can, can with a few keystrokes, change the outcome of an election. So given what we, what a lot of people now know because of some of the blatant, obvious examples in the 2020 election, I mean, it, or should we continue to pretend or I mean, what's your take on the sanctity of our voting system? Uh, excellent question, JB. And, and uh, you know, I think when we consider politics, uh, we have to not fall into the trap that our hope is in politics. Our mm -hmm. hope is not in this world, right? And 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 we always, as Christians, need to be mindful of that. Uh, sometimes that understanding gets abused. And, and you have people who say, well, because our hope is not in this world, then even if we can make a positive difference, even if we can protect the lives of innocent unborn babies through government policy, we don't want to do that because our hope is not in this world. Uh, and I think that is, is a mistake as well. Scripture is filled with references about our duty as God's people to defend the innocent, to uh, to influence in a positive way uh, through the principles that God has revealed to us, the culture and the society around us. Uh, and, you know, ultimately, we need to be explaining to people that Jesus Christ is the king. Uh, if you go to Acts chapter 17, you see a, a very interesting passage. Uh, the, the city officials and the mob are all mad uh, because these Christians have come in to uh, Thessaloniki 
And uh, they have, according to the uh, the angry people, they've turned the world upside down. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they didn't do that by saying, hey, Jesus loves you. He's just knocking on your heart. He just wants to come in and, <laughs> and he's just waiting for you. No, they said Jesus is the king. They, they, these guys said that he's saying there's a uh, they're saying there's a king other than Caesar, this Jesus, that he's the king. And, you know, as Christians, yes, Jesus is our savior. He better be. But he's also our king. He's our Lord. And he's not just our Lord. He's the king of all kings. He's the Lord of all creation. All authority has been given to him. And so we need to recognize, you know, voting is not our salvation. Our hope is not in voting. Our hope is not in winning the next presidential election. In fact, uh, if your trust is in men, it's in the wrong place. Over and over again, the scriptures tell you, do not put your trust in men. Do not put your trust in princes. Right. And so, you know, I, I, I think highly of some political leaders, very few, <laughs> but uh, ultimately my hope is not in political leaders. So I, I do think it's important for us to vote, even though we know that they are rigging the election uh, blatantly in many cases. Uh, I do believe it's important for us to participate in the political process. That includes uh, not just voting. That includes running for office. That includes supporting good candidates. That includes developing relationships. In fact, I believe that it's a good idea for churches to have a ministry to public officials. Get a couple of volunteers in your church and try to develop a relationship with members of your city council, with your mayor, with your sheriff. Um, If they're not getting godly counsel from the church, where are they going to be getting counsel from? Well, Jesus says it pretty clearly, and this goes back to to our previous question, too. He says, if you're not with me, you're against me. And so regardless of what method they're using to control the politicians, whether your God is your your belly, whether your God is money, whether your God is some demonic uh, rock that you think you've infused with power because you put a face on, doesn't matter. You're ultimately in the kingdom of Satan. And so if all of our elected officials are getting advice from people and forces and organizations that are against Christ, which Christ tells us everybody who's not with him is against him, well, what do we expect to see well we expect to see the mass slaughter of unborn babies we expect to see half naked men parading down our streets wiggling their butts in front of our children and that as christians i think should be completely unacceptable especially in a country like this where we are supposed to be the sovereigns where we are supposed to have the means at our disposal to change this yeah no question yeah at plum creek chapel which is our home church where i'm the teaching pastor our 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 uh, primary ministries with NBW Ministries, uh, not by works.org, but uh, by God's grace, we're connected uh, and accountable to a local church, and I get to be the teaching pastor there when I'm in town. And two years in a row, we did a what we called a, uh, a God and Country Day, and we invited all the local dignitaries, sheriffs, uh, police, first responders, mayors, uh, city council, school board members, sent massive invitations to come so that we could pray for them on that Sunday and just know that, that let them know we love them. Uh, I had a guest on the program uh, Tuesday night uh, who is a per- he's a believer, a Jewish believer, uh, high up in uh, uh, mil- Jewish military, a background in military was pretty high up. Uh, anyway, he's on a first name basis with uh, Bibi, and he 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 counsels him, and through the years has counseled him, and in fact, still to this day gets calls from him and and he uh he uh, you know confirms what most of us know that Netanyahu is not a, a believer he's not a Christian uh in fact he may be tied in with some pretty bad cats but this guy's using his Christian influence to try to give wise counsel and so I think you're exactly right that's what uh God's word calls us uh, uh calls us to do so you know talking about voting you know people have said that our founding fathers envisioned three boxes that that allows us to kind of keep things in check the ballot box the ammo box and the jury box and these days it seems to me really the 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 luciferian elite are targeting all of those they've they've really you know taken over the elections to where we don't have elections we have selections they're trying to take away our gun rights with the ammo boxes and many of the juries particularly grand juries in major cities across this country are controlled and bought and paid for so it kind of just on the one hand, it reminds you of Satan's plan, like we talked about from Psalm 2, and we see this outworking, and the more we see it, the cl- no, the closer we know we are to the end times. But at the same, so it's exciting in that sense, but at the same time, it can leave leave you bewildered, because what, what, what does the believer do? I mean, uh, I hear what you're saying about uh, voting, but I mean, maybe it's my own pride, um, but I, I just I, I I hate to be made a fool of, and I hate to. I mean, they have elections in in North Korea and Iran. Should should Christians <laughs> vote Cuba. there too? You know, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know. Uh, I what I tell people is, if you believe your vote 
counts, you absolutely have a moral duty to vote and you should vote with a biblical worldview. But once you've kind of peeked behind the curtain and realized that it's all a charade, I, I don't know. I appreciate, though, your counsel that in principle, you know, because of nothing else than the principle, we should we should do it. We should go through the motions because uh, you never know. And from a pragmatic perspective, you, you know, a, a point that I know you would agree with is that even if it is rigged, it makes it harder for them to rig, you know, because if you've got, you know, like that's what happened in 2020, even though I'm not a, a fan of, of Trump and I believe he was a kind of an unwitting pawn in the game. Nevertheless, he had a huge populist uh, support and, and no thinking person is going to assume that Biden, a guy like Biden, no less sleepy Joe could beat someone with as much support as Trump. And so, uh, that's what raised the alarm when they started seeing these fake numbers come in. They go, this can't be it. It doesn't pass the smell test, right? So I think they're setting the stage for that too, by the way, with 24, with uh, they know Trump still has an amazing support. And so they're, they're positioning uh, uh, Kennedy to be an independent and kind of a, a 1992 2.0 do-over where you know Clinton in 92 won the election with 43% of the vote uh, because of the Perot factor. I think they got to do something to create a narrative that that you know, if in fact Biden's their guy, uh, that that puts him in. So, uh, so yeah, what what do you think about some of those thoughts that I that I just expressed? Am I way out in left field? No, I I hundred percent respect the view that uh, participating in elections at this point is pointless. But that doesn't mean that we are without options. Uh, you know, the the most extreme case, and this was a situation that confronted the founding generation, uh, many of whom had been. Uh, uh, educated uh, during the the Great Awakening when God raised up men like Jonathan Edward and, and George Whitfield. I mean, these are guys that were just preaching the whole counsel of God, setting their cities on fire for the Lord. Um, you know what they ultimately came to the realization of was like, look, we, we've tried all the normal means we have. We we've begged the king, we've begged the parliament, we've begged his minions over here, and and they outlined some of this in the Declaration of Independence. And everywhere we turned, we got spit on, we got laughed at. And so, what did they ultimately end up doing? Well, they appealed to a higher power. They appealed to the highest tribunal. One of the flags they flew during our war for independence said, "Appeal to heaven." This was on a lot of our navy ships. And I, I believe we are now in that time. We, you know, we, we've exhausted our options when it comes to elections. We've exhausted our options when it comes to lobbying and all those other things. Now is the time for us to be appealing to heaven. The court in heaven is infinitely superior to even the U.S. Supreme Court. Right, the, the U.S. Supreme Court is nothing compared to God's court. And so uh, our founders appealed to heaven, and I think we should as well. And even here in the physical, we have options available to us. And and we saw clearly how effective some of those were, even just over the last three years. I'll give you some examples from, from my state here in Florida. Joe Biden, right, is doing all kinds of lawless stuff. Let, let, let's take the, the vaccine mandate as, as one example. So he gets OSHA to sign this regulation saying that anybody who doesn't take the injection needs to be fired from their job. And uh, any company that doesn't force all their employees to, to take these things is going to be fined. I forget what it was, $7,000 or something like that. Well, our state gets together. We have a, a legislative session. They pass a law that says any company in the state of Florida that fires their employee for not taking the jab in response to this Orwellian unconstitutional federal regulation, which, by the way, was later struck down by the Supreme Court, they're going to be fined 10 times as much as OSHA would have fined them. Guess what? Not a lot of people in the state of Florida <laughs> got fired for that. And that was all as a result of our legislature and our governor saying, look, we are going to interpose. This is a Christian doctrine. Uh, the doctrine of the lesser magistrates has a long history. Um, in fact, if you go back through the Bible, Exodus chapter one, the Hebrew midwives interposed between Pharaoh, who ordered them to kill the baby boys, and the baby boys. They actually saved the men's children alive, as the Bible says. And what does it say? God dealt well with them because they feared the Lord. And so if you have state and local officials who are godly, who are willing to stick their neck out to protect the people of their community and their constituents, it can make all the difference in the world. You had the, the folks out in California, Illinois, New York, you know, locked in their basement, eight mandatory face masks, 15 injections, or what are they, 25 boosters now, 26, I don't even know. Um, <laughs> meanwhile, in my community, life was completely normal, JB. I mean, yeah. no, no change at all. I, I could go to the store. I didn't have to put on a mask. We continued uh, getting together with our friends. When our church shut down for a week, we started house church. My life hardly changed at all as a result of this madness. And that was because my city, 
my county and my state officials actively interposed, yeah. just like so many great men of God have done down through the ages. So we have a lot of options available. And, and I'll, last, I'll say on the jury issue, you know, we're very fortunate still in this country to have trial by jury. And we need American jurors to understand, forget what the judge tells you. You have the right and even the duty to judge not just the facts in the case, but also the law. Uh, you know, if you say hypothetically, you're in the United Kingdom right now and you're arrested for quoting the word of God on a public street, whether it be on homosexuality or gender or whatever, you're arrested because that's a, it's a criminal offense in the UK. You're hauled before a court. If you're a Christian and you're sitting on that jury as this man is being prosecuted for quoting the word of God, it doesn't matter if they prove with all the evidence in the universe that this man quoted the word of God, your job as a juror is say, I don't care. Set him free. He's not guilty. There's no crime committed here by quoting the word of God. And uh, we as Americans need to remember that as our fellow Christians go on trial. We as jurors need to say, nope, nope, nope. Uh, we are not going to convict this guy. I don't care if you prove that he did it. That law is unjust. It's wicked. And we're not going to obey it. Just like so many great men of God throughout human history have disobeyed lawless and evil decrees from tyrants. Absolutely, yeah, no, and and that's the one that they can't universally control because there are too many local uh, jurisdictions and so forth. So, absolutely, I've talked about that before. That you know, you need to do your duty. You need to be familiar with the role of a jury, what your you know rights are, uh, and so forth, because it's all kind of um, a lot of misinformation out there. Uh, but yeah, I, I appreciate your reminder. Uh, and Florida is a great example. There are pockets of influence, and this whole doctrine of lesser magistrates, uh, when properly applied can make a huge difference. I mean, this is not, woe is me, the sky is falling, what can we do? Let's all move to a mountaintop, crawl in a hole, and sing kumbaya. We've got a lot we can do. God has us here for a reason. Jesus said in Luke 19 that we're to be doing business till he comes. We've got a job to do. So yeah, you can make a huge difference uh, through legislation, through you know voting in in areas where where you know it's legitimate and you can make a difference uh, locally, school boards, uh, municipalities, things like that. I want to talk to you for a moment about a couple of uh, uh, people. Oh, one other comment I, I wanted to make that. When you, I love that reference to you know appeal to heaven. I had not heard that about the flags um, in the revolution. Um, you know, we see a perfect example of how God is the ultimate arbiter of these decisions in Scripture with the choosing of King David. You know, here, here you've got Samuel coming to Jesse, trying to pick a king for Israel, and he parades all these big, strong, obvious candidates. And, you know, because sometimes you'll hear people say, well, I don't want to vote for him because that's throwing my vote away. He, he could never win. So we're forced into this Coke, Pepsi, Republican, Democrat option. Uh, but, uh, you know, none of none of the, the usual candidates would work uh, for Israel. And so Samuel's basically like, you got anybody else? And, and, and Jesse's like, well, I got this scrawny little, you know, punk kid way out cleaning up sheep poop in the in the fields. Uh, but he certainly is not the guy. He says, let me see him. And then he's, you're the one, you're the king. And so, so we know God often, you know, uses the, the unsuspecting, the, the, not the one that would fit the, the normal secular worldview. So I want to remind people of that. But in the time we have left, let's just talk real quick about a couple of names. And, uh, you know, you mentioned Florida. So DeSantis, I mean, when I talk about controlled assets, even though we might agree with a lot of the things some people say, or we might even cheer for the, some of the decisions, I, I see it from a bigger perspective, and I, I wonder about some of these um, some of these darlings of the conservative uh, movement. Even people like Mike Johnson, I would love to get your take on him. But let's talk about DeSantis first. Um, you know, when during the height of the pandemic, when a lot of conservatives like DeSantis and Abbott and others were using executive orders to uh, to combat some of the tyranny, I was really leery of that because, you know, when we when we cheer for the executive order, when we, we we like it, we have to remember they could turn around and use it against us as well. So in principle, I'm not for these executive orders. You know, when when Obama did it, it was he was the dictator in chief. But when Trump did it, you know, we love him. He's great. And I, I think there's an inconsistency there. So What's your take on DeSantis? I don't want to put you in a in a box or anything, but kind of reflect on how we should, in my mind, take a lot of these conservative figureheads uh, with a little bit at arm's length. 
Yeah, and I agree with you entirely. As I said earlier, the Bible tells us repeatedly, don't put your trust in princes. Mm -hmm. So your trust ought not to be in a governor or a president or a candidate. Uh, with that said, I, I've known DeSantis for a long time. He used to be my congressman. So we spent a lot of time in his office pestering him about his bad votes. I mean, we were just quite honest here. Yeah, he made a lot of bad votes when he was in Congress. Um, we would use the uh, the Freedom Index and we'd go in and say, hey, yeah, could you please show me in your constitution that you swore an oath to uphold with your hand on the Bible? Which part do you believe authorizes foreign aid to Pakistan? Yeah. Hmm. Well, <laughs> and so you know, we had a lot of these kinds of discussions with him. I, I, um, I, I think he's listening to some bad people. Um, you know, he, I, I know a little bit about what's been going on behind the scenes here, being active as I am in uh, Florida politics. I had an opportunity to meet with him uh, some months ago on an education issue that was close to my heart. Uh, so I know a little bit about what's going on. And unfortunately, he listened to people he shouldn't have been listening to. Jeb Bush, right? Uh, uh, even though the Bush family is politically toxic, unfortunately, Jeb Bush is still very influential in Tallahassee. And uh, when he says jump, a lot of the legislators say, yes, sir, how high? So uh, you've got the Jeb Bush factor. You've got the Paul Ryan factor. They were just looking desperately for anybody who had the credibility among conservatives and grassroots to try to stop Trump. And so I think DeSantis made a big mistake. Uh, and I think that's becoming pretty obvious. Even some of his most diehard supporters here in Florida are now abandoning him. Um, I, I, you know, with that said, I think he did better than any other governor of any of the states during the pandemic. He wasn't perfect. He did go along with the narrative um, at the start, at least. Um, he, he corrected himself. He made some good appointments. But, um, you know, I, I think it helps if you have a man who is willing to listen. Uh, as far as executive orders go, you know, there's a time and a place for executive orders. Uh, they've been used all the way back to our first president. You know, order more paper clips for the office, order more right. pencils. You know, or there's, there's a time China. Right. China for the White House kitchen. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. Yeah. So these are responsible, appropriate uses of executive orders. What's not an appropriate use of an executive order, either at the state or the federal level, is to try to legislate through executive orders. And so most of the executive orders that I saw used during the pandemic at the local level by mayors, at the state level by governors, and also at the national level by Joe Biden, uh, were actually tyrannical attempts at usurping the power of the legislature. Now, to be clear, even Congress doesn't have the power to implement these things. Even state legislatures don't have these kinds of powers in most of our state constitutions. So all these things would have been illegitimate, even if Congress or the legislature had approved them, which they did not. But, um, you know, there is a time for executive orders. Legislating is not one of those times. In fact, the U.S. Constitution says all legislative powers are reserved for Congress. So this was a, a horrible abuse of power. And uh, as people who want smaller government, I, I agree with you 100%, JB. We don't want to cheer legislating by executive order just because it's our guy doing it or it happens mm -hmm. to advance our policy preference. It's a bad idea. If we let them use it for our causes, the other side is going to use it to hurt us. And we've got to always remember that. Yeah. So DeSantis, uh, since I've got you on, uh, you know, as a captive audience here and you know him well and you're in Florida and you're, you're so well researched and all these things, let me ask you a couple of questions about him and I'll put them all out there and then you can kind of tick them all off together. Uh, first of all, you said he's listening to some bad people. Is he listening? The first question would be, is he listening to bad people or is he controlled to some extent? Secondly, uh, there's some a lot of misinformation out there. I've tried to run it down. You know, I've got kind of lean one way or the other on my whether it's accurate or not but i'm just curious if you've heard anything about it i'm sure you've heard about it or if you've had the chance to validate it is he skull and bones and was he at gitmo kind of overseeing the human rights uh of the prisoners there at gitmo uh all good questions uh i have not been able to find concrete evidence of his involvement in skull and bones that doesn't mean he's not involved, but it means I don't have the evidence to say he is. Um, you know, I've, I've heard from I'll just leave it at that. I don't have evidence yeah. proving that he is one way or the other. Um, if he is, that's a giant red flag. This is a diabolical group. They meet in a place called the tomb. They do weird rituals involving mock human sacrifices and coffins and sex acts and skulls. Uh, this is a wicked group from the pit of hell. Uh, and and anybody who's involved in it, unless they've publicly repented of that, uh, should not be trusted for anything. And that includes the Bushes and the Carries, by the way. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, yep. So uh, his involvement in Gitmo, he was a JAG attorney. So he was involved in uh, during that era. Uh, so I, I don't know the full extent of his involvement in what happened in Guantanamo. I know he was part of JAG. I know he was at Yale. Uh, and so I think these are all legitimate questions, and I think DeSantis would be wise to address them because, uh, you know, even though they're not talked about by the mainstream media, this is the kind of thing that today the grassroots are talking about. This is the kind of thing people are concerned about. 
So I think he should address them. Unfortunately, I don't know. And as for whether he's just listening or whether he's controlled by, fair question. Um, again, I don't know the answer to that. I know he listens a lot to his wife. And, uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with uh, listening to your wife. Uh, you know, God gave us wives for a reason. Yeah, I kind of um, re recommend it, actually. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, a lot of times our wives are very, very smart and astute and they see things that we uh, don't always see. But, uh, you know, when you're when you're letting your wife make really important political decisions or even governing decisions um, when your wife wasn't elected, you know, I, I think maybe you're uh, you, you need to be praying about that and make sure that uh, that's the correct thing to do. So I don't know the answer to any of those three questions. But, you know, I would just reiterate, folks, that even the folks out there who really like DeSantis or who really like Trump. Just recognize Jesus Christ is our king. Jesus Christ is our savior. To the extent that we support or actively get involved in any of these campaigns, we always have to keep our eye on the real reality that we don't want our trust in princes or men. We need it in Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well said. And by the way, I have for, for your listeners, because I know you're going to graciously uh, repost this uh, to some of your channels uh, in my Spirit of the Antichrist volume two, I have a whole chapter on Skull and Bones and the, kind of the history there. And, and as you alluded to, it's, it's kind of ironic that with 350 million people in the country, we would have an election uh, once upon a time where both the, the two leading candidates on the Republican side and Democratic side were both skull and bones. I mean, statistically, the odds of that are pretty similar. Of course, it's also stunning that they were both cousins, uh, which is also a, a bizarre thing. But anyway, well, Alex, man, you are a wealth of information. I encourage folks to go to libertysentinel.org. Again, Liberty Sentinel. That's L-I-B-E-R-T-Y-S-E-N-T-I-N-E-L, LibertySentinel.org, and, and uh, stay connected with Alex's ministry. And uh, we covered a lot of ground, but obviously much more to cover, and you're such a consummate researcher. I'd love to have you back on sometime if your schedule permits. Would that be all right? Absolutely. I, I would uh, love to come on. Thank you, JB. And uh, let me know if I can do anything for you. I really appreciate your ministry and all that you're doing for the Lord. So thank you. You bet. And we always like to close out by reminding you, and I said it in the opening, if you don't know the Lord Jesus, uh, time is urgent. Uh, you know, things are uh, really heating up. We don't certainly can't predict dates. The Bible doesn't want us to do that. But we would have to be living in a cave not to see that we are rapidly uh, heading towards uh uh, the end times. I believe we're living in the last of the last days. So if you, there's never been a time in your life when you've trusted in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who died and rose again for your sins, uh, today's the day to do that. Place your faith in Christ. He's the only way. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And for the rest of us who know the Lord already, uh, we've got to continue to walk by faith. And I really appreciate Alex's heart and his continued reminder throughout the last hour uh, that ultimately our eyes should be fixed on uh, Christ. You know, our citizenship is not on earth, it's in heaven, from which we eagerly await uh, the Savior. So thanks again, Alex. So thank you, everybody, for listening. Remind you to go to notbyworks.org. Lots of free resources there. We've got a whole free section on our online store. Click the store button and then click on the free resources button. Uh, and uh, while you're there, you can consider signing up for our Premier membership. Uh, we do a exclusive uh, Zoom session for Premier members only. And plus, we have a lot of content that's only available to our Premier members. It's a small monthly fee uh, if you're interested in that. And if we can ever help you, feel free to reach out to us. Well, God bless you, everyone. Don't forget, we got Don Perkins tomorrow on Is America in Bible Prophecy. Have a great rest of the day.